in the resurrection. Uh, before we jump in, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, uh, I pray that you'd strengthen me. I pray that you would give me peace. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of my secret thoughts, which do not edify men or glorify you. Pray that as I present your word, that I would do so according to the power of your spirit, that I would be faithful to the truth of your word. I pray that I would not be a stumbling block to the truth, but that I would be able to step aside and let the word speak for itself. Lord, I do not have to defend you. You are a lion. You can defend yourself. Lord, help me to magnify the truth of who you are. Help me to be God-focused. I pray that as we come together to receive your word, that we would do so with humble hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are starting this morning, uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is our passage for this morning. Last week, we looked at wisdom. Two different kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom that is from below, and there is the wisdom that is from above. The wisdom that is from below is a self-serving and self-focused wisdom. The, the wisdom that comes from below is motivated by jealousy, selfish ambition. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, James says, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is... Uh, a wisdom that is primarily concerned with self. The wisdom that comes from above recognizes that the self is not the fountain of knowledge. That the self is not the fountain of wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above recognizes that God is the fountain of wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. And for a person to commit their way to God, and to have a God-focused mentality, that person will find peace. That person will be a peaceful person. All of this is an introduction to what we are going to be discussing this morning. We'll be discussing in more depth the wisdom from below and the wisdom that comes from above. And I have taken a couple of, well, I've taken a term to describe the wisdom that comes from below. I have taken the term selfism. I'm applying it to wisdom that comes from below. Selfism. Selfism is uh, to be primary, primarily concerned with self. To be primarily focused on personal happiness on personal satisfaction. A person who is being a selfist, not selfish, although they're very similar, 
person who is a selfist is so committed to self that they worship themselves. It is idolatry of self. The wisdom that comes from above is godliness. So there's selfism and there's godliness. Um, this passage, uh, James chapter 4, oftentimes when people are teaching on it, they will refer to selfism as worldliness. Uh, I'm going to use the two interchangeably. And the reason I'm going to do that is because the world wants you to be a selfist. The world, uh, everything that you see out in the world is encouraging you to be more selfish, more self-focused. Advertising is all about getting the best that you can get. Gillette, a best, the best a man can get, right? It's all about you. It's about personal satisfaction. It's all about fulfilling your own desires, fulfilling your wants, make yourself happy. If you go to a secular psychologist, they will tell you to cut out the things in your life that make you unhappy. Spouses and family and jobs and all of those sorts of things because the primarily the primary concern is that you be happy. It's all about you, your wants, your desires, your needs. This is something that has bled into Christianity quite a lot, where we encourage each other that if you're not happy, just quit. If you're not getting what you want, if you're not feeling fulfilled, go away. Go find wherever you're going to be fulfilled. If the church isn't feeding you like you want to be fed, go somewhere else. That is, the, that is how the church behaves. We behave exactly like the world in that sense. We're going to be talking about the results of selfism. What, what does selfism produce in the life of a person? What does godliness pr produce in the life of a person? And that is where we come in our passage this morning in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, please stand in reverence for God's word. Let's read it together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Amen. Please be seated. A very interesting passage. Not what you would expect to hear about godliness. Not what you would expect to hear about selfism. The problem that we have is that we are far more concerned with our own happiness than we are with our own holiness. This is a problem for all of us. 
True Christian maturity is caring far more about your holiness than about your happiness. Caring far more about your godliness than about your happiness. The problems with churches today is that the people sitting in the pews are more concerned with being happy than they are with being holy. They are far too self-focused. Ultimately, what James is addressing here is, well, what he's doing is he's addressing people who are sitting in the church. And there's two different kinds of people who sit in churches. There's the selfists and there's the godly ones. There's the people who are God-focused and the people who are self-focused. And the point that he's trying to make is that if the results of your life look like the results of the selfist, then you're actually an enemy of God. That if you're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning and your life is a self-focused life, you are an enemy of God. You cannot be a lover of self and a lover of God. You have to pick. Doesn't work that way. You cannot pursue God and something else. You have to have a singular focus. God first, always. He begins, James, by talking about quarrels and fights. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The person who is more concerned with self or uh, in a conflict is more concerned with being right or being vindicated is the kind of person that will produce conflict. And the conflict will not go away because this person is far more concerned with self than they are with godliness or with the, the person that they are arguing with. Unresolved conflict stems from an overinflated love of self. If you love yourself more than you love the person you're talking to, more than you love God, you will inevitably have conflict with them. Now, this is not to say that a Christian will never have conflict, but the the test of true Christian maturity is a person who can have conflict and resolve it. If you are the sort of person who goes around having conflicts and never resolving them, that's a bad sign. It's a very bad sign. If there are people in your community who hate you and won't speak to you, that's a problem. It's a problem that needs to be resolved. Unresolved conflict is a sign of self-worship. It's a sign that you value being vindicated more than you value godliness. The problem with us is not that we're not passionate, it's that we're passionate about the wrong things. Passions are good. Unless your passions are self-focused. If your passions are your top priority, it will lead you to nothing but conflict and ultimately death. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions, your self-focused desires are at war within you. And so you can't have healthy relationships because your passions are at war within you. Your self Worship, your self-desire, is at war within you. 
This is what causes quarrels and fights among you. Our desire for self-gratification like power and love and, and money and all of these sorts of things, these are the things that lead to the worst conflicts in history and it leads to the worst conflicts in your life. You look at any war that has ever happened in history and it's because the people on both sides are far more concerned with self than they are with God or with others. They're far more concerned with having their own way. And I would even be willing to lump in the Crusades with that. It's a big criticism that goes against Christianity is that we had the Crusades where we killed a whole bunch of people. The Bible never calls us to conquer the Holy Land. That was the selfish ambition of men in power who sent others to go and conquer the Holy Land. That was not a godly thing to do. It's because the, the church leadership at the time was far more concerned with self and far more concerned with their own passions and their own wants and their own desires and their own power than they were with being godly. The crusade that should have happened was people going in and sharing the gospel. That's what it should have been. Unfortunately, that's not what it was. If you are constantly having conflict with people you're close to, people that you're not close to, it may be a sign that you are not saved or acting like you're not saved. This is something that the Apostle Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul was addressing the Corinthian church because they were having conflict. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So he says that the people who are having this spiritual conflict are at worst in the flesh, meaning unsaved, or at best just infants in Christ. One or the other. You're either a baby, you're either being a big baby in your conflicts, or you are in the flesh. And if you are a baby, you need to grow in sanctification. You need to read your Bible. You need to fill your life with God's truth. You need to seek after maturity. And if you're unsaved, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You need to repent of your sin. You need to commit your way to him. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Covetousness is often the breeding ground for all other sin. Or for other sin, just like murder and adultery. Why do people murder? They fly into a jealous rage and they murder. Why do people commit adultery? Because they want something that they should not want. They want something that they cannot have. And so they seek after it. This covetousness is the root, oftentimes, of their sin. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. I think there is no greater example of this 
than the issue of abortion. Do you not have, or you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. We see this all the time. Women who are committing adultery, sinning against God, having sex outside of marriage, and then they have the natural consequence of their sin, which is to get pregnant, but they desire and they know that this will interfere with their self-focused, self-serving desires, and so they kill, they murder the person in their body. And this is not exclusive to abortion. This is something that happens a lot, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different circles. We desire, we do not have, so we murder. We covet, and we cannot obtain, so we fight and we quarrel. You know, we talk about murder as if it's this horrible sin, but did you know that Jesus said that if you look at another person with hate for them, then you've already committed murder in your heart? Meaning that you covet, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Those are one and the same sin. They're exactly the same. When you desire and you cannot have, so you fight and you quarrel and you hate the person or you speak with hatred towards the person that you're quarreling with, that is the same as if you'd murdered them. God counts it the same. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We wonder why our prayers go unanswered. It's because God isn't interested in feeding your selfishness. God isn't interested in feeding my selfishness. God wants you to be God-focused. God is a jealous God. We need to use caution in our prayers that we're not treating God like a genie. Where we rub the lamp and we get our three wishes and we ask God to give us our thing. That's not how God works. You know that prayer is not primarily for the purpose of you getting things from God. Prayer is actually for the purpose of aligning your will with God. That's the purpose of prayer. Our self-serving tendencies are are a demonic tool for keeping us from obedience. Keeping us from obedience to the Great Commission. Often our selfishness manifests in a lack of prayer because we desire to be our own master. Like I said, this selfism is ultimately just idolatry of self. And so we pray to God that he will give us our heart's desires or we don't bother praying and we just go and find our heart's desire on our own. We are not seeking God. This is the problem with the prosperity gospel. Teachers like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen. They're encouraging selfism. They treat God like a vending machine. Ask God what you want and he'll give it to you. There are actually quite a lot of these prosperity preachers out there. And it's insidious and it's hidden. People like T.D. Jakes and Joyce Meyer. Prosperity gospel heretics is what they are. Charlatans. 
who are pulling people into hell and giving them whatever their hearts, their natural hearts desire is. Encouraging selfism, encouraging self-focused, happiness-driven ministries. Ministries of Satan. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You are focused on your passions. You are self-focused. You are worshiping yourself. You are an idolater. This is what it is to be selfist, to be selfish, to be more concerned with self than you are with God. Here's the result. Verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You adulterous people. This is the warning that James is giving is that you, when you are more focused on yourself, on your own happiness than you are with God and your holiness, that you are a spiritual adulterer. This is actually a callback to the Old Testament. There were a lot of passages in the Old Testament where God spoke of Israel, of his people, like they were adulterers. The entire book of Hosea is dedicated to this idea where God tells the prophet Hosea to go and to marry a wife of harlotry. Yeah, and, and when she goes away back into her harlotry, that is how God sees the people of Israel. When he marries them, he pulls them out of their adulterous lifestyles, their harlot, harlotry lifestyle, and brings them in and marries them and makes them his own. And then they go out again that is what it's like. It is like adultery. There is extremely strong language about this, in, especially in the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to read you a passage from the book of Ezekiel, which will make you squirm in your chair. Ezekiel chapter 23. God is describing Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, that were established from the people of Israel. And he's going to describe them. He's going to describe their spiritual idolatry, where they have turned from God to worship idols. He refers to them as Ohola and Oholiba. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel 23. Ezekiel 23, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, there were two women the daughters of one mother. They played the whore in Egypt. They played the whore in their youth. There, their breasts were pressed and their virgin bosoms were handled. Ahola was the name of the elder. Aholabah, the name of her sister. They became mine. They bore sons and daughters. As for their names, Ahola is Samaria and Aholabah is Jerusalem. Ahola played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, warriors clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. She bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them, and she defiled herself with all of the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. 
This is bringing up the idea of idolatry, worship of false gods. She did not give up her whoring, verse 8, that she had begun in Egypt. For in her youth men had lain with her and handled her virgin bosom and poured out their whoring lust upon her. Therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of Assyrians after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness. They seized her sons and her daughters. And they, as for her, they killed her with the sword. And she became a byword among women when judgment had been executed on her. Her sister, Oholibah, saw this, and she became more corrupt than her sister. In lust and in her whoring, which was worse than all of that of her sister, she lusted after the Assyrians, governors and commanders, warriors clothed in full armor, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And I saw that she was defiled. They both took the same way, but they carried, but she carried her whoring further. She saw men portrayed on the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed in vermilion, wearing belts on their waists and flowing turbans on their heads, all of them having the appearance of officers, a likeness of Babylonians whose native land is Chaldea. When she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And the Babylonians came to her in the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoring lust. And after she was defiled by them, she turned from them in disgust. When she carried on her whoring so openly and flaunted her nakedness, I turned in disgust from her as I turned in disgust from her sister. Yet she increased her whoring, remembering the days of her youth when she played the whore in the land of Egypt and lusted after her lovers there, whose members were like those of donkeys and whose issue was like that of horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your bosom and pressed your virgin breasts. Very, very graphic, vivid imagery. This is in the Bible. This is how God sees self-worship. This is how God sees idolatry. I read that so you would understand exactly how serious it is for us to be more concerned with self and with worshiping something other than God. God is jealous. It's not something that we often talk about, is it? You know, you don't very often hear sermons on the jealousy of God. And like I say, this sort of thing makes you squirm in your seat. It makes you uncomfortable to think about. But this is what God sees when you turn away from him and worship yourself. When you're far more concerned with your own happiness than you are with your own godliness. It's important for you to understand I don't read these things because I'm a creep and I want to, you know, talk about how dirty the Bible is. I'm talking about these things because that's how serious idolatry is. God is like a husband to his church. The church is called the bride of Christ. And when members of the church go off after other things, whether that's self or a worship of sex, or a worship of money, all of those things, God sees that like a husband watching his wife go and commit adultery. Amen. You know, jealousy is a, a very bad emotion, except in one context, in the context of marriage, where a husband, if he is not jealous for his wife, there's a problem there. Or a wife, if she is not jealous for her husband, there's a problem there. God is jealous for us, and that's not a negative emotion, because he's jealous for his church, because the church is his bride. The church is his wife. And when we go off and we worship ourselves, when we worship the things of this world, when we go into worldly desires, that is what God sees. He sees us like a wife who's walking out on her husband. Ultimately, friendship with the world is 
enmity with God. Christians can sink into the trap of of worship, but most often the people who are drifting into this worship are people who are self-deceived, who are not actually Christians, who think they are, but they're not. They're the people who are sitting in pews thinking that they're a friend of God when they're actually an enemy of God. But he gives more grace. This is, the, this is the point where we have to hope. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so if you're sitting here this morning, and you're proud, God is opposing you. But if you become humble, God will give you more and more grace. This is your chance to repent to repent of your self-serving tendencies, to repent of always seeking your own happiness. It's a chance for you to be humble and to go to God. And I'm going to tell you how to do that because James tells us how to do that. In verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submission is not a bad thing. Submission to God is a very, very good thing. Submission to God puts you into a right relationship with God. This is where it begins. You submit yourself, therefore, to God, and you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is, this is believe, submit yourself, therefore, to God, and repent. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, and resist the devil. Stop sinning. Turn from your sin. I know, to say stop sinning, it's like, yeah, that's like saying stop breathing. You'll never do that. But fight your sin. A Christian does not love their sin. A Christian hates their sin. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You know, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Cleanse your hands, repent, turn away from your sin, purify your hearts, don't be double-minded, don't be serving God and self, don't be serving God and money, be single-minded, focus in on God. Be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now what does this mean? It was not, doesn't mean that Christians have to be depressed, what it means is that when you sin, you will be Wretched, you will mourn, you will weep. You will not laugh, you will not be joyful, you will be gloomy because you hate your sin. The sign of Christian of a Christian is a person who hates their sin. And I don't care if you're a baby Christian or an adult Christian, you will hate your sin. Maybe you have to learn what sin is before you can hate it, but you will hate it. A Christian does not love sin. And so when a Christian does sin, they will be wretched. They will mourn and weep. Their laughter will be turned to mourning and their joy to gloom. Ultimately, to summarize, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Trust in Jesus. Turn from your sin. Be God-focused. Do not be self-focused. Be obedient to God. Honor God. Love God. 
serve God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not be proud. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. This is a, this is a temptation for all of us. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat on just one person here. This is a temptation for all of us. We need to repent. We need to stop being so proud. People who are sitting here who are already Christians, you need to repent of your pride. People who are sitting here who are not Christians, you need to repent of all your sin and you need to trust Jesus. And everybody here needs to trust Jesus and preach this truth to yourself every single day. Because every single day, you will be tempted towards selfism. Because you will go out into the world and you will watch television and you will read books and you will drive down the street and every single thing that you see will be telling you, love yourself. It's all about your happiness. Be happy. Find what makes you happy. Choose to be joyful and all these things. And they will leave out the primary thing that leads to joy. They will leave out the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the only, the only source of joy is Jesus. The only source of salvation is Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Christians. Focus on Jesus. This is something that's been really ruminating in my heart. Really been learning a lot lately about finding true joy in Christ. That there is no joy outside of Christ. Choose joy. Choose Christ. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and ultimately, he will exalt you. Anyone who seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will find it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us to be God-focused. You would teach us not to be self-focused. Lord, I pray specifically for this church that selfism would have no foothold here. I pray that together, collectively, we would resist the devil and that we would be far, far more concerned with our godliness, with our holiness, than we are with our happiness. Lord, we know that when we submit to you, when we honor you, when we serve you, that ultimately that brings joy. I pray that you would teach us that. Pray that that thought would be fixed on our minds. Pray that our commitment to you would not waver. Pray that you would bless this church. Help us to honor you, to love you, and to know you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.